You're listening to the Early Stages by APX, Europe's leading early stage investor and accelerator program for digital startups. Shark Tank, where hopeful entrepreneurs from across the country dream of a chance to secure an investment and gain powerful partners to start, grow, or save their businesses. The time has finally come. It's time to talk about money. Money isn't everyone's favorite topic. We're not big fans of talking about it. We're often very intimidated by it. And I'll be the first to admit that if I could outsource every monetary responsibility of mine to someone else, I probably would. Financing and funding know-how isn't common knowledge. And it isn't always fun. But that's okay. Just because you haven't been to business school, maybe if you're a techie or a creative with a great idea, doesn't mean you can't find the tools and the network to help you figure out a way to get your idea to market. This entire journey does cost money. But you're not the first founder who has had to figure out how to manage finances with little to no experience to start. 23andMe was founded by a healthcare analyst, while the neighborhood social networking service Nextdoor was founded by a team of marketing experts and social media veterans. Now, healthcare and social media are not from the world of finance. But with the right help, these founders were able to fundraise and spend money effectively to build the tech giants they run today. These early stages see founders relying heavily on themselves and sometimes their close friends, their family and fellow founders to get things off the ground. The same self-sufficient approach goes for financing, which is why bootstrapping is so often the first go-to. Whether you have to lease your flat, maybe work on the weekends or dip into your reserves, Chances are you'll be spending your own money. I'm Sebastian Rieder with German accent. <laughs> um, I'm founder and CEO of Beta Fashion. Sebastian Rieder and his co-founder Stefan Foss launched Beta Fashion back in 2018. Beta Fashion provides software that helps fashion brands manage the allocation and replenishment of their merchandise. And they've successfully been through the APX Accelerator program and landed themselves a pretty pre-seed investment. But they too started with nothing more than their own savings. And in Sebastian's own words, his not so deep pocket. It was my own not really deep pocket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we started bootstrapping a long time. Um, I was basically funding myself at a really early stage for, for one year by myself. And then found it together with my co-founder who actually brought in also a little bit of money from his old company. Um, so that was really the first source of money. And out of curiosity, is were you working two jobs at the same time? And by job, I mean, you know, founding this company mm. is obviously a job in itself. Were you working a full-time job on the side as well to pay? Actually, I was stupid enough <laughs> to quit everything and go full-time in that. I mean, I, I thought at the beginning it it has to be this way. It's it's founding a company is such a big thing, and you you need to do th so many things. And it turned out I, I could have had another job 
<laughs> at the first month, definitely. <laughs> so everybody who tries to found a company, don't quit your job. Don't, okay, <laughs> we'll take It that note. It brings you in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I mean, if I really tell you the personal story behind that, I actually had to sublease my, f my flat. I moved in with a friend um, on her couch. Subleasing your flat? Sleeping on a friend's couch? These tales of hardship turned blessing in disguise are not unfamiliar to us. Take Max Villard, for example. Max is the co-founder and managing director at Hire, and he and his co-founder found themselves in the lucky position of losing their jobs and being forced to make something of their new venture. So at the beginning, when Luca and I made the jump to working on this full time, um, we were in the, so to say, lucky position that we didn't have jobs at that point in time. My, so it was easier to make the jump. Um, the startup that I had been working at previously, which was in HR tech, where I was entrepreneur in residence after finishing my master's degree, had just you know gone default. So where all the learning stayed with me, but um, there was no money from that source anymore. And uh, I worked uh, interim for a time period while, um, so just you know off off salaries, off small salaries and savings, and same thing for Luca. So the first phase, let's say, was finances by personal savings, by a tax return, stuff like that. But this was really just during the explorational phase before we got any outside investment, outside funding. Farmer entrepreneurs seem to be going the route of bootstrapping than ever before. It is considered a rather romanticized idea of starting a business, but it can be hugely beneficial if you're willing to put in the hustle. Remember Maya Markovitz from episode three? I think I would try to bootstrap my business as long as possible to really come to a point where I have enough validation or even starting to get revenues in that will help me to also better my negotiation towards the investor, right? So the earlier you raise money, the lower your valuation will be. And that means it's simply, it's a simple mathematical function. If you are worth a million post money, and you are raising 100K, you will give up 10% of your company. So what you would want to do is you would want to raise the same amount that you believe that you need, just on a higher valuation, because you will give up less equity. And the less equity you give up at the beginning, the more control you have over that company. Essentially what she's saying here is, the more of your own money that you manage to raise, the more control and ownership you'll have over your company in the long run. It's not easy doing it without outside capital. But as Sebastian says, making your own way is sometimes the best way. So, so it's nothing stronger than bootstrapped companies that have um, revenues. So yeah, if, if it's possible, do it. I saw companies, they, they have done it. In the, in the first stage, you always think, think you need the money and you need more people and all of that. But if you really try to focus on what you have to do, you don't need it. It maybe takes a little bit longer, or it will definitely take a little bit longer. In the most cases, there is a way. In an ideal world, you'd fund your baby on your own for the duration of its existence. But the startup landscape is a fast-paced one. And more often than not, you are going to need monetary help in order to maintain speed, efficiency and growth. So when do you start looking for investment? Tilman Kemper, the manager of venture development at APX, says that like so many things along this journey, it really depends. Um, a lot of times it depends on your business model. It uh, depends on your own resources, of course, 
how much money do you have saved up? What kind of business are you running? Uh, I guess um, what we see a whole lot is depending on um, your business model, whether you're profitable or not, whether you want to grow faster, whether you want to expand or hire more people, this stage comes earlier or later. So as soon as you are hitting certain walls in terms of not being able to hire anymore, in terms of not being able to um, put anything out, in terms of marketing, spend, AdWords, etc., it might be the right time to look into financing. Okay, so you've found yourself in the position where you think you're ready to bring on potential investors. But how do you know that you're ready? What are these investors actually looking for? Investors want to see something actionable that they, that they can invest in. So the best way to raise funding is really build your business and do what you want to do. Test it in the smallest way possible, in the leanest way possible so that you can prove that there's something behind what you're trying to do um, rather than just have a PowerPoint slide with a PowerPoint slides with a grand vision, but nothing really achieved, right? The more you can show, the easier it is to raise funding, and then you're actually in a position of uh, strength rather than being the beggar that just wants money. And then when you do approach investors, do so, especially business angels, do so more from the perspective of gaining insights and picking up their feedback. People much rather give feedback on new interesting ideas than being asked for money straight up that just puts them in a defensive position which doesn't help you at all at the end of the day. There may be times when a company hasn't validated or even built their product yet, but investors can still see their and their team's potential and can understand this grand vision they want to make a reality. So be transparent, to a point, but don't undersell yourself. You do have a great idea. You just need to convince them of the value and the potential of your story. Um, you are always struggling to demonstrate traction. And by traction, I just mean momentum that you have been um, able to generate over time, over the past few weeks, a month or years even. And the problem with this early stage is that a lot of times you haven't made any revenues yet. You might not even have a real product. So how can people say, okay, what you are doing right now really makes sense. It's really tough to prove. And in that context, you need to somehow be able to validate what you do. And this can be done through, I guess, micro-testing by coming up with super smart assumptions. But you always need to be able to tell a story around it for early investors to really trust you enough. For Sebastian, it was all about the relationship building. But it is important to keep in mind here that there is a lot riding on these early stage introductions. And you do need to be calculated about how you initiate these conversations with potential investors. It was more about that I felt I need to build up a relationship and relationship is built on trust and built on or trust is, is for me also built on transparency. So I thought I give you everything I have and hopefully I will get back everything you have. But it wasn't that way. <laughs> Um, and we approached everybody and we approached everybody really pretty cold. So we sent them emails, we called them and it was basically just like screaming out in the world, we need money and do you want to give us some? Screaming out into the world that you need money and that you'll take it from anyone who offers it is maybe not the best idea. Whether you're looking for accelerators like APX, angel investors, venture capital or even grants, these first points of contact can leave lasting impressions, and it's important not to waste opportunities. Luckily, Sebastian and his team, with the help of APX advisors, took the time to reassess their approach. 
um, suddenly, suddenly it, I realized how how we could do it, and that the worst thing you can do is basically call an investor and just telling them, "Look, I found you on the internet, and um, it seems to be pretty cool what you're doing and your portfolio companies, and uh, could be a good match." Doesn't work out at all. <laughs> Um, so that you need to have this network and try to approach through the networks and introductions always the best. This, I think, is, is what I should have done in the first months and in the first period of the company, build up this network. These networks are integral. Max and his team had factored funding into their business model from the very beginning. And like Sebastian, leaned on their personal networks to find business angels. And then once they had more to show, accelerator programs too. So we were thinking about raising money from the beginning onwards, and that was really concurrent with actually developing the business idea and the, the vision that we were standing for. So from that point in time, we were talking to primarily business angels through our personal networks. And yeah, then when we got it a bit more concrete, we applied to several acceleration programs, amongst others APX, and luckily got into APX, which has been a great experience so far. Best investment relationships are symbiotic and rewarding for both the founders and the investors. These relationships are going to last a long time, so it's best to make sure your investor shares the same values and vision as your team. Remember, they will own part of your company. I mean, the investor, uh, investor side and the startup side, where it should not look like a founder is begging for money, but really the founder is today offering an opportunity for the investor to also benefit in the future. So it's more of a partnership, I always say. And as soon, be aware of this, as soon as the investor is actually committed, the investor is also on your side and the incentives are aligned. So you can't just promise and in the worst case also lie to an investor because if this investor then over time decides to um, invest and finds out, well, okay, everything that you said is only half true if best, this entire relationship is just, um, well, will quickly fall apart. Um, and again, make sure incentives are aligned. So um, the first thing you have to do is really classify, does this person have the necessary experience um, by yeah, by having been in my space in the business that I'm, that I'm forming? Can they really give me some good expertise? And then, of course, you should, you can use resources like Crunchbase to check if they've invested recently, what the ticket sizes that they invest. So you can really, let's say, boil down from loads from loads of investors to a few that will actually be potential investors for you. And then you've saved a lot of time for everyone. Now, of course, the hope is that you get a yes off the bat. But realistically, you're going to be met with a little resistance in the beginning. Rejection is almost always a bitter pill to swallow. That is, unless you change your perspective and view each no as an opportunity to learn. What I hadn't anticipated was that it actually is quite tough and just the amount of rejection that you have, you know, and that you have to keep staying positive nonetheless. You'll have to talk to a lot of people until somebody bites, somebody shares your vision. And that, of course, is then what then um, was misanticipated was the amount of time that you actually have to spend on funding and setting up your documents and doing that right. I thought it's pretty easy to find money and it's not, not at all. 
Um, you're, it's basically like sales. If you go in there, you need to take the nose. Like the more nose you take, the closer you get to a yes. But then also don't just take it as negative feedback, but try to make it constructive. So we always tell our founders that if they are talking to investors and investors are saying no or saying, hey, maybe later you're too early, always ask for more. Always ask for what would put me in a spot of being ready, what would have made my pitch better, um, what would have made my entire case better. And I think every little fail can also be seen as a little win because there's an opportunity to improve. Tillman goes on to say that if you're receiving advice and feedback, act on that advice. And there is a good chance that they may want to invest in you at a later stage. A lot of times when you are being rejected by investors, they are telling you, hey, please come back when you have more traction, aka you're too early. And it's also a really easy answer to give because, yeah, right, what does it mean to be right, having the right timing? What does it mean to um, not be too early? And there's rarely a really good response to this. Um, at the same time, investors will rarely really say no because they are always, um, well, they have FOMO. They have a fear of missing out in terms of missing the next big opportunities. So they are saying, hey, I'll keep you warm. Please come back when you have more validation. And by more validation, they also imply less risks. Now, let's say you have successfully struck an accord with investors. They have expressed interest. This is the time where you need to build and focus on that relationship. You want to be proud of the relationship that you have with your investors. Surprisingly, it's not just about money. So that is really sometimes, you know, you see that these things are even more valuable than the money. So you had to have some flexibility and say, okay, for this guy, we're going to give you we're going to let you invest at a lower valuation than others because you bring so much more to the table. But then, of course, you have to negotiate that with um, your other investors and make them understand why somebody else is getting a better deal in their eyes than they are. So it's really a multifaceted chess game, I'd say. So how do we continue evaluating financing sources? We Right now, really, we're seeing that of course, also external environment related funding could be a bit more difficult going forward than we had anticipated. I think I'm, I'm proud of actually what, how I see now the conversation with investors. It, it changed totally. Um, before, as I said, it was asking for money. And as you, as you then have your, your, your first angel investors or investors on board and you see everything is really running as you kind of planned it, um, you're getting more confident about what you do at all. And then suddenly for you, it really, you, you're turning basically the science. It's not asking for money. It's basically um, they should ask you if they can join the company at a certain point. Um, if you have the possibility to choose, and to be honest, not that much startups have the possibility to really choose and what kind of investors they have, then go for them where you have the best feeling and not for the best terms. It's amazing when investors believe in you and in your product. And it's a huge morale boost when they say they want to invest. But you do need to understand that that money is not yours until it's in your bank account. There is a very big difference between an investor saying they'd like to invest and that money actually getting transferred to you. And this process can take a lot longer than you expect. You can't plan for the money to be there until it actually is there, or at least the contracts are 
signed and completely, you know, completely set up. Before that, you can't really count on the money to be there. So don't start operating as it is. Also, team-wise, maybe communicate some communicate some doubts or let's say don't communicate it as if everything is safe because then you're just setting your team up for a letdown in case something doesn't happen. Like Maya, Max also says that you need to think about whether raising as much money as possible and potentially giving away a large amount of equity is even worth it. You don't want to give away huge portions of your company if you don't need the cash. Also, at the end of the day, as Max points out, The goal of raising money is to be able to continue and grow your business, not just raise money. Otherwise, you're just just prolonging the inevitable and then you're making your core competency about raising money from investors rather than building a business that is good on its own. So that's, that's, I think, where the investors really do come into place and correctly state that, okay, if you only need 5 million euros for the next two years, it doesn't make sense to raise a Series A with um, with 15 million euros because that'll also take pressure away from you as founders and as a team to make a sustainable business. The American and European startup ecosystems are vastly different, especially in terms of investing. While some ecosystems are less risk-averse and more likely to invest huge sums of money, European investors tend to want more validation and a more solid backing before investing in a company. But admittedly, there are even variations within Europe. So I think you need to bring a bit more validated assumptions and metrics and evidence really to the table in order to be able to raise money in Germany as compared to the US, where they will always ask first, how will this become a billion-dollar opportunity? How will you dr- uh, turn your vision into reality? And I think in Germany, it's more of a mix of where are you today and how are you basically, how do you go about the next three to six months? I might also be a bit biased here, but I guess the European, the Berlin, the German ecosystem um, might be a bit more risk-averse, but through or by that also be able to um put out more sustainably successful companies. It really just depends on your local ecosystem still to a large extent um, to that. And when we were in Italy working on CoStaff, because we were at the Bicorni University, we saw that the funding environment is really just a lot, a lot tougher there because people don't have that much perspective or don't have that much, let's say, willingness to invest in something completely untested. Um, so that would mean that you have to be a lot further in what you're doing to, for them to justify investing in you. And yeah, just uh, just these things that are big bets are easier to finance when you already have a developed, fi- uh, a developed startup ecosystem. Depending on which ecosystem you find yourself in, there is also the opportunity to look into potential grants. Local governments have millions of euros to dedicate to funding startup projects. So if you find yourself in a position where an accelerator has asked you for something more concrete, but you're lacking the funds to do anything, look into what grants are available to you. And it's free money. So for grants and public money, there are different requirements, um, whether you are already incorporated or not, um, your financial model, etc. 
compared to an investment opportunity with people who are return seeking? So you first of all have to find out which ones are actually relevant for you without bending your business, right? You should never bend your business just to get some amount of grant because then at the end of the day, you have to do what you told the people in your application. So it doesn't make sense to lie and that makes even less sense to change what you want to do because there may be some source of money available if you do. Of course, accelerators are not only an excellent source for funding, but they also offer a unique opportunity to hone your business model, your pitch deck and your product for future investment. APX was basically our last chance to survive, um, but it was the best choice we could make for the for the phase in terms of getting this access to the network. Uh, and I do not regret it at all. It was really, and it's not because this is an APX podcast at the end, it was really the best decision to go with them. Tillman explains how an accelerator can be beneficial in illuminating unknowns and providing financial guidance during this stage of the journey. So we're here to advise. So we would rarely just say this is right or wrong, but we want to really understand why founders make decisions and the way they are making decisions. A lot of times founders come in with certain ideas in mind how to spend the money, but they might not have looked at every aspect of their company, of their business, of their path forward, where they might need improvement. And therefore, the money might be readjusted in, in a way um, how it is being spent. Um, but then also at the end of the day, we don't decide for them. So we can only offer advice and we can also offer our experience and what other founders have done. Landing that first investment in these early stages is very exciting. It can also be very intimidating. What do you do with the money? Where do you spend it? All of your decisions should focus on sustainable growth and expansion. For some, it means using the funds to develop the product. For Max and his team, it was paying their own well-deserved salaries and then hiring their first freelancers. Yeah, I mean, after working for quite a long time without any salaries, um, <laughs> first of all, it went into some modest salaries for us as a as a founding team to be able to support us while we're building the core business. And then on the other hand, it went into expanding the team with the competencies that we don't have. So our first hire was a freelance um, UI, UX and designer um, whom whom I know from a previous startup who's doing a great job for us in all our branding, all our set, all our setup, the look and feel of our app, because we know that we have to design an app that students will want to use and a website that students will want to use and look at. So it doesn't make sense to for us to try to do that ourselves, right? When that is something that we would never be able to do. While incoming money is a wonderful thing and the opportunities it brings are really exciting, it is important to think long term. It will mean a lot more growth, which sounds, uh, which sounds cool, but at the same time, um, it also offers more risks. And therefore, you need to be willing to do that. And I think it's not meant for everybody. And that is also perfectly fine. Um, you should just really, as a founding team, decide what you're in for and what you're also willing to sacrifice in this context. And only then really proceed to pursue um, investments with VCs, for example. Because at the end of the day, that is why you're doing this, right? 
we're looking to grow, to grow well, and hopefully make a living from this venture of ours for the foreseeable future. It is a big responsibility to suddenly be in charge of hundreds of thousands of euros. So when the money comes in, make the most of it. Focus on building a company that can grow healthily and sustainably for years to come. That's why investors gave you this money in the first place. Any which way you go looking for it, money is what you need to get your venture off the ground. While making that jump and signing an investment contract can feel risky, external funding is a brilliant opportunity to build your dream company. Thank you for listening and thank you to Tillman, Max and Sebastian for taking the time to share their knowledge and expertise with us. On the next episode of The Early Stages, we'll be speaking about what it's actually like to go through the accelerator process. It's a different game to really execute on these opportunities. And there it's always really, really nice to see some of the people that are then really hustling after it and trying to, yeah, to catch them all. That's really funny. No, it's not funny. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. That's exactly. where my brain went immediately. Exactly. This episode of The Early Stages was produced by Bear Radio for APX and hosted by me, Julia Schubert.